when the topic or the concept of serving inside the church is considered, we have to think about it, uh, about it in the terms in which God speaks about serving in the church. And so picking up in this passage that Pastor John introduced to us last week, we want to look at what 1 Peter is telling us about spiritual gifts, about serving the church, and, and what it is that, that God is doing when we participate in serving. So we need to answer the question, what is a spiritual gift? What is a spiritual gift? What does it mean to serve one another? And how does that relate to the various, to the variety of grace that, that Peter is calling us to, drawing attention to? How, uh, how does grace relate to gifts? And then, as we continue, I will unpack um, to see that the Lord gives strength, the Lord gives power to us in giving us these gifts, and they're all for His glory. I just, in a nutshell, in three, five sentences, gave you the entire sermon, okay? We're going to unpack this, these, these couple of verses for us, and we want to think our way through the text. Uh, you know, while this isn't meant to be an exhaustive handling, I think I feel like I need to put a disclaimer out there, uh, of spiritual gifts, I have a four-week class that I could teach you on spiritual gifts. That's not entirely what this sermon is about. Um, and so we're not going to be looking at individual gifts. We're not going to be looking at lists and those kinds of things. Um, you know, or is this even a sermon about all the myriad of possible ways that you can be serving and all the needs that we have? Although we do have needs. And I plan on pressing in on the heart of those things as we uh, go about this sermon. It's primary, primarily, again, a series about what God is doing in all of these things. However, it will be inevitable that we will deal with some specific intangible things and ways that you could be serving. Now, there are other places that speak about spiritual gifts and serving. You know, we know 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and, and over in Romans, there are a number of passages. And, when, uh, and we will mention those as we go along. However, I think it's a good practice for us to stay right here as long as we possibly can, and see what it is that Peter is telling us uh, and ultimately what God is telling us. And so, I, you know, what is God telling us when we're here out serving in the local church? What is God doing? And so it's, it's really remarkable that in verse 10, he tells us, that each has received a gift. And each one of us functions as a steward of God's very grace. And stewards are the people who, you know, who generally uh, are over other people in the house, right? So just as parents, right? We just did the parent-child dedication. The parents are uh, stewards over their children, right? They are over-exercising authority over their particular children. And in the same way uh, that you are stewards of your own resources over your own children, God has made you, if you are 
a believer in Christ, you are in fact dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. God has made you a steward of these varied graces by giving you a gift to serve and build up the body of Christ. In other words, each of us is called to serve one another. And we're called to steward this well. And so this is, by the way, a very revolutionary concept in this passage. This is how God has intended stuff to get done inside the local church. This is how God has chosen to demonstrate visible grace to his church. It happens through this tangible stewarding of God's grace through serving. And by the way, this was a revolutionary concept that swept the church in Europe during the Protestant Reformation. Uh, my own small group were reading this book called The Unquenchable Flame by Michael Reeves and we're looking, just doing an introductory look into the Protestant Reformation, seeing what these men, uh, these faithful men and women were fighting for in the background of what was going on in medieval Catholicism. When the people recognized that God's grace is to be stewarded by everyone in the church and not just through priests, uh, the church began to explode. It began to grow and mature in ways that it had not done in centuries. And it doesn't just come through sacraments. It doesn't just come through the priest who has his handle on the spigot, turning it on and off and on and off, and he is the key holder to this grace. No, this grace, First Peter is telling us, reminding us, Again, when you have access to the scriptures, it's pretty dangerous. It's a pretty dangerous thing because it begins to change everything. And 1 Peter 4.10 tells us that it comes through serving one another. God's grace comes through serving one another. Utilizing their gifts, which are tangible graces of God. But let's define again what a spiritual gift is. You know, I think I once heard Gru, uh, Wayne Grudem define spiritual gifts as anything that you can do inside the church to help build it, to help, to help strengthen it, to help strengthen one another. But I, 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 want, I think it's simply a personal, unique capacity for stewarding grace to others. Let me say that again. Spiritual gifts is simply a personally uh, unique capacity for stewarding grace to others, exercising authority over that grace and extending it to others. Does that make sense? Nod your head, yes, that makes sense. So the, the text tells us each has received a gift. Each one of us, each one of you who's resting in the finished work of Jesus who has been brought from death to life, who has been given new spiritual eyes, who has been awakened by the doctrine of regeneration, by the Spirit giving you faith. The Spirit now is dwelling inside of you and has gifted you with a particular grace-filled gift to exercise authority over, to use to serve one another. So what... Uh, are we stewarding as we serve one another? We're stewarding grace. 
We're stewarding grace. So grace and gifts here, by the way, are, are not the same thing. The gift is the capacity with which we are stewards of that grace. So gifting is the capacity and grace is what we are stewarding. So when he says each has received a gift, Peter is emphasizing this gift is not just a box to check on a list. It's not some spiritual inventory thing that you take and, well, am I this or am I, am I that? You know, do I have the gift of this or do I have the gift of that? It is a personal way of taking the grace that each of us has experiencing, has experienced, and we channel it out to one another. So let me give you uh, some personal application here. Uh, when you think about personal gifting, your unique gifting, so you just, again, you don't just go through a list and ask, oh, okay, is, is it teaching? Uh, is it administration? Is it mercy? Uh, kind of just working your way through the checklist. I don't think that's the way that we ought to be thinking about these spiritual gifts. The way to think about it is, God has shown grace to me, therefore, I want to show grace to others. I want to show grace to other people. I want to steward this grace, so I'm going to do good with this grace and uh, to other people. And, and, and you know what? Over time, over time, when you try every kind of way to extend grace to others, you will discover that you are gifted at some of the ways and not some of the other ways. Uh, so, so don't put the emphasis on checking a box. Put the emphasis on God has been gracious to me. That's the real emphasis. If there's any inventory that you take in yourself, it is remembering that God has been gracious to you. I want to love other people by being gracious to them. I want to steward my grace for them. And when you find yourself doing that naturally over time, you will have discovered God has gifted me with a unique capacity for, uh, to, to help people in very particular ways. And when you go, when you figure out that particular way, whatever that may be, after you've exhausted every other possible way to extend grace and mercy and show kindness and, and love to one another, after you have exhausted all that you possibly can do, you will find that you have found a particular place that you find energy in. You will find a particular way that you love and other people are stirred to love Jesus more and more by that particular way that you, you serve in the local church. And when you figure that out, you give yourself over to it. Like both hands, both feet, jump in completely and exercise that particular gift with the most insane passion and the most insane zeal. Now, it must be said here, I feel like it's, it's kind of essential. 
that we say this, that there is a way uh, to serve wrongly in the church. You know, for the person who feels entitled to serve in a way that they feel they have been gifted in and who, who fears that if they cannot find uh, fulfillment, they won't find fulfillment in the Christian life if they're not serving in that way. And, and, and I feel like if, if that is the type of person you may tend to be, I think you may be misunderstanding this passage. You may be misunderstanding uh, uh, the purpose of a spiritual gifting. The goal of service is to strengthen the body, not your personal fulfillment. And so that means that we serve where the body needs strengthening. And the point that Peter is trying to make here is that we are working to meet each other's needs. So part of your grace, part of the grace that you are stewarding, part of your spiritual gifting is uniquely connected to needs. Particular needs in the church. When you serve somebody, you meet their needs, the body's needs, not your needs. I've seen far too many people idolize particular serving opportunities because it's for their own fulfillment and not for the fulfillment of others. This is, by the way, the fulfillment of others. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of serving in the church. So my suggestion is when you think about how you can bless other people with your gifts, you do not think about checking boxes. You do not think in terms of it as uh, in, ther in terms of it, ha it has to be this or, or that or nothing else at all. Rather, when you think, think about how in a particular situation or a particular need that you see that is observed and observable by many, think about the grace you have tasted and seek to make your life a means of grace for others in a particular place, in a particular time, and in a particular felt need. So by this, I, and I want to give you the first point of the sermon this morning. God's very grace is poured out on the church when his people sacrificially give of themselves in service to one another. God's very grace is poured out on the church when his people sacrificially give of themselves to one another in service. Simply put, when we serve, people experience the grace of God. It's literally loving people with the grace of God. That's what serving in the local church, serving your other fellow believers, that's what this is. And this uh, reality, by the way, is reinforced in other passages. We think about Ephesians 4.12, which I don't have here for you. If you want to look there, you can, or you can mark it later on. Paul, though, says that these gifts, these particular giftings that people have, are given to prepare God's people for works of service so that, uh, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge 
of the Son of God. So what Paul is stressing in Ephesians 4 is the aim of strengthening the whole body, not just the parts. We are to minister to each other with a view, not just of helping each other mature, but with the view of the whole body growing and mature in Christ. So ultimately, our goal in all of this is unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God, God gives gifts to all of us according to His grace to be exercised in His strength, not primarily as a means of fulfillment for each of us as individuals, but for the maturing of His church that we might grow in unity. Now, again, by practical application, Find a place to serve in the local church. I mean, there are needs in small groups. Listen, every single week, we gather around the staff meeting table. And I've been gone for two weeks, and I have cards in my box of people that I'm supposed to follow up with. And they check small groups. Our small groups are packed. Literally, I just came out of my own small group. We were pulling out chairs. We're shoulder to shoulder in there. We couldn't put another chair in there if we wanted to. In fact, we have, we are at a place where I could use 10 new small groups like six months ago. We are at a major deficit of people who are willing to, to lead small groups. So by the way, if you feel like the Lord has gifted you in that particular way, come find me. I would love to begin to have those conversations with you, what that might look like, being a small group leader, a home group leader. But there are needs in student ministry. There are needs in children's ministry. There are needs in preschool ministry, women's ministry. Pastor John and I have been talking about wanting to ramp up our men's ministry. And, and we're, we're looking for a particular man that, that has a passion for mobilizing men for fellowships. And it doesn't always have to be a Bible study. It could be, you know, a fellowship. We gather and, you know, we can go shoot skeet. We can go play around the golf. We can do a number of things. But we want to find ways to get people together. But that actually takes people. That actually takes people with a particular passion and love for this kind of thing. There are needs there. There are needs in hospitality. You know, there are needs for uh, home group host homes. Not even people who are leading the, home, leading the home groups, but actually are just saying, hey, I'm willing to have, you know, four or five couples come over once every two weeks, and, you know, I'm open my home. We need leaders in those places. We, there's, there's needs for mercy to the sick and the hurting, and there are counseling ministry needs. Let me tell you what I've discovered in a local church where the, the, where the gospel is foundational, the gospel is held out in front of people. You know what the gospel does? The gospel confronts us in our self-perceived righteousness where we think we got things figured out, but we really don't. So counseling needs, they, they rise to the surface in a grace-filled, grace-saturated church. Because people say, you know what, I'm pretty jacked up, I need help. And there are needs for people who are mature, who know their Bibles, who can help 
people go to the scriptures and find comfort, find joy in knowing Christ, find joy in the scriptures. I mean, there are tech ministry needs. You know, praise the Lord for Corey Bullard uh, and the work that he's been doing uh, over the last several months, like really beefing up our tech, te- tech team ministry. I mean, there are places to serve, greeter ministry, coffee ministry, the bookstore. I mean, and I just named off just a couple of tangible things. There are things that we don't even know about. But the Lord has gifted you in a particular way to think about it. And you see the need. Well, go press in that need. One thing I always, what I've discovered, I've been in ministry, ministry since about 2003. Oftentimes you'll have people say, hey, Hey, Pastor Adam, uh, you know, the church really needs a singles ministry. Really, 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 really does. And the church does need a singles ministry, by the way, that's robust and meaningful and has a heart and eyes for singles ministry. But you know what the church also needs? That person that came to me recognizing the need to press in on that need and not sit back and wait for someone else to do it. And again, so there are... A myriad of ways, myriad of places to serve. And here's something to consider, okay? Here's something to consider. If you are a covenant member of this church and you're not serving, according to Ephesians 4, according to 1 Peter 4, there is grace that people aren't experiencing because you're not serving. I think it's safe for me to say that. This church is actually being held back. Growth being stunted. I'm not talking about numerical growth. I'm talking about maturation. I'm talking about growing in depth. I'm talking about not just growing wide, growing deep. That the church is actually hindered. The church is actually being held back when there are people who are greedy with grace that God has given. So find a place to serve. I can't say it enough. It may be possible that there are people who are desperate need of receiving grace and you have it to give. You have it to give to them. And God gifted every believer for a purpose. And as we uh, all uh, sacrificially serve one another in a variety of ways, God is using the whole thing, the whole institution of the church to build up the church. Whenever some in the church fail to serve, they are actually holding the church back. And living outside the will of God. So now in verse 11, continuing on, Peter gets more specific about the different kinds of gifts that are manifest when Christians come together to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Peter is getting so wrapped up in this God-centric text, this God-centric word, that he actually breaks out in worship, breaks out in doxology in the end. He's so passionate about this idea that people are serving, they are stewards of God's grace inside the church. He's so passionate about it, he breaks out in worship at the end. But Peter is talking about two kinds or two groups of capacities for um, for, uh, for, for handling this grace, for distributing this grace, namely speaking and serving. Now, these two are not mutually exclusive. When we speak, we are serving. We are serving people. When we serve, uh, we are often mingling in words, right? Words of encouragement. Uh, our service, and, and this is a form of service to others. We can't think of speaking as not serving and serving not as speaking. They definitely overlap. But it is clear here that Peter is making a distinction between these two gifts as words and these gifts as deeds. And I think that's implied as he puts them beside each other. So the question is, if you're going to exercise your gift and administer grace, God's varied grace to one another, serving and, uh, and, and being good stewards of God's grace, how are you going to do it? How are you going to be a good steward of this particular grace that God has shown you? How do you do it in such a way that it's God's grace that you have received. And he, and he gives two specific ways. And Pastor John talked about this last week. For the one who speaks, he is speaking oracles of God. And the one who serves, let them do it by the strength that God supplies. So the strength and power of God is the resource for serving. And the oracles of God is the resource for speaking. Now, we could get really tangled up in the details of this, but, but I think what he really wants to say, what he really wants us to understand, as we gather together and begin to minister our gifts to each other, the, the grace of God, we should never say, my words are what's needed. I should never try to channel the grace of God with my words. No, if, if I just have my words, then people will not experience the grace of God. Rather, people experience the grace of God when those who speak, those who preach, those who teach are carried along by the oracles of God. It doesn't mean you have to be inspired like the Apostle Peter and you have to write Bible and you have to write the scriptures. It simply means you, you need to key off of be saturated by, be, be speaking in all kinds of ways the oracle of God. Do you know what that is? That is the word. These are the scriptures. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hear God speak through his word. Now, when it comes to service, he's saying, you know, don't rely on your own strength. If you rely on your own strength instead of God's strength, how are you going to expect people to receive God's grace? 
when it's really you doing what's uh, when it, when it's really you doing all the acting. So when your deeds are done in the power of God, and when your words are spoken with the words of God, God is lavishly pouring out His grace in the church. His varied grace, and this brings us to really the next point: that God's people are desperately in need of his power and strength to faithfully serve inside the church. We're desperately in need for God's power. Desperately in need of God's strength. And the good news is, God is not stingy with his strength. Especially for the humble. Let me be clear. Especially for the humble. Those who know they are in need of God, the one who goes about serving in their own strength is powerless and honestly not, not that effective in ministry at all. However, the one who desperately recognizes their need for strength in the Lord and asks the Lord for help in serving, this person is a conduit of God's grace. God's very grace. We are desperately in need of God in everything we do. Everything. And we are powerless without Him. But this text tells us more about what God is doing. Not only is He giving people particular gifts to be conduits of God's grace, and that power, that strength that we have is from Him. This text tells us more. Better yet, what God receives when we serve this way. When we serve, God receives glory. Our love for one another and love for God's glory are uniquely connected. The aim of all our uh, God-empowered speaking and serving is this phrase in verse 11, in order that. And everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So the reason we are to focus on God's word and the reason we are depending on God's strength and the reason we, are, uh, we want people to taste God's grace is so that God will be experienced as glorious. People will say things and, and do things that make him seem like he is all glorious. God is glorified by the content of our speaking when that speaking is filled with his own words. God is glorified by the acts of our service when, his, when this service is empowered by the strength that he grants and gives joyfully and generously. So the one who gives the strength gets the glory. And the one whose word is believed and obeyed after being spoken receives the glory. Not me. Not Pastor John. It's not hard to see. But, but why? Why? See how verse 11 ends. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And the reason God should be glorified, the reason we should see him as glorious and speak of him as glorious and enjoy him as glorious 
is because He is glorious. He is the one who has dominion. In other words, the absolute reality of the universe is that the glory and dominion don't belong to man. They don't belong to the universe. They belong to God. God carries the universe like a peanut in his pocket. All glory and all dominion belong to God. That's why we, we, we make it our aim to glorify God in the way we love one another. If our aim is to administer God's grace through gifts to one another because we have needs that, that need loving help, you know, how does God aiming, how does aiming at the glory of God and aiming at grace towards one another relate? This concept, by the way, is also seen in 1 Peter chapter 12, or chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. They see your good deeds. These good deeds are acts of love. Acts of love and service. Love for one another. And when they see these good deeds, what happens? They glorify God. This is the goal. The goal is in experiencing these deeds of love and that people would come to see God as glorious and then, therefore, give Him glory. Glorifying God, listen, is the apex of our joy. Uh, to use the phrase that Piper uses in Desiring God, that, that, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. When we administer the grace of God through gifts, joy is produced in those who receive those gifts of grace. Joy is produced in those who receive those good gifts of grace. Simply put, grace produces joy, does it not? This is why, you know, it's so foundational for our preaching here at Capshaw. If we were to tell you, do this, do that, the Christian faith is do this. Christian faith is do that, do this, do that, do that. And we gave you three application points every, every, every week. Do this, do this, do this. If you do these things, you're a good Christian. Over 52 weeks a year, you know, that's quite a few things you got to do. And then it becomes like this thing of, oh, man, am I a good Christian? I don't, I don't do any of these things very well. So, man, I must be a terrible Christian. But when grace is the central message. It produces something different in people. There's a different effect. And that is joy. That is delight. Makes you treasure Jesus. You've heard that before, right? Makes you treasure Jesus. Grace produces joy. God receives glory when his people experience joy. Joy in His grace. 
So experiencing the grace of God through others' gifts produces joy in us and drives us to see and proclaim God's glory. That's the third point. There is no conflict in us receiving grace and joy and God's glory. They go hand in hand. Delighting in the Lord, glorifying the Lord. They go hand in hand. And I think it's important. There's another central key, key place we see the glory of God. Look, look with me at verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Jesus is our only hope. God's glory is seen most explicitly in his son Jesus Christ. He, he's also, this is where uh, we most explicitly see God glorifying service. He is our ultimate example of Christian service. Serving is at the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says not, for, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, we see no greater service in Jesus coming to live a perfect life in our place. Dying a death in our place that, that we deserved. We, we deserved death. That cross was meant for us. We weren't seeking after him. And God comes and lavishes his grace, serves us. Our heart for service is cultivated by understanding the gospel. The one who understands and is the most blown away by the radical service of Jesus will be the one that's most motivated to serve in the local church. Show me a church that's enthralled with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'll show you a church that's not lacking uh, for volunteers. A lack of volunteers and servant hearts is a sign that people believe the church is about them. And the gathering is for their entertainment, for their fulfillment. A lack of servant hearts is a sign that people do not understand the gospel. You were served when you least deserved it. This is the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Treasure the gospel and develop a heart of service. This is our prayer. This is our prayer for our worship services. That you would so be stirred by the good news of the gospel. In a moment when we take communion. The whole purpose of communion is so that we might be stirred. To remember what God did for us through his son. Living a perfect life in our place. Dying a death that we deserve. Conquering an enemy that we cannot conquer. And he's risen from the grave. And we have this good news. God's given us this grace. And we are stewards of this grace, right? We have it. It's tangible. It's there for us. So the good news of the gospel is that we are stirred to joy and love and good deeds. So I want to ask the question, are you enthralled by the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Are you totally blown away by the gospel? Are you concerned about the glory of God? If you don't have a desire to serve in the church, I would really think about the answer to those questions I just asked. Find a place to serve. You have grace that God has given for you to steward well. Give it to others. Identify, look for needs in the church. Serve, depend on the strength and power of God when you serve. The glory of God and the joy of others is at stake here. And a desire to serve one another is an evidence that we are believing and resting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm pleading with you today. Believe. Rest in the gospel. You are a conduit of grace. God has empowered you with grace to give to others. Give it wildly. Give it with zeal. Give it with passion. Give it with fervor. There is someone beside you. Someone that needs grace. And you have it. Serve one another. Stand in the strength and power of God. You will be stirred to joy. Others will be stirred to joy. And God will be glorified. This is the central message of what God is doing when we serve. You have the grace. Give it to others. Let's pray.